0: Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. Jesus' cousin. These boys grew up together. They were close in age. I remember as a kid, 17 years old, George Chapman and I got in my little MG convertible. Anyone driving behind us would see two rolled-up sleeping bags held together with with bungee cords and a frying pan on the back. Dinner on the way up and on the way back was cans of beans. the, The goal was to eat for under 50 cents per meal, both of us. And we did it. And we went up to Spokane, where my cousin lived, who was probably about about as far apart in age as I was, or as Jesus was from John. And they they had a lake cabin north of Spokane, and it was a, a wonderful opportunity to go up with my cousin and do wild, crazy stuff. So we'd go out on the boat, and he'd say, let's see if we can tip it. So he would go full force and then, and then turn it hard, and, and we'd be laughing, and we could not seem to make that thing go underwater, <laughs> try as we did. But on this particular trip, my cousin's dad had just got a, a brand new car, a new Chevy station wagon. And so we went out to drive in this thing near Loon Lake, north of Spokane, and Dave was driving, and he got it up to 110 miles per hour. We're all 17 years old. <laughs> and we loved it. And you know, the cars back then, they, they had that floaty feel, and so we're, we're driving, and it's kind of a, one of those roads that went up and down, and it was so fun to go up over those rises and down, then down on the other side. Crazy stuff. Fun stuff. Well, Jesus lived in close proximity to his cousin for a long period of time. And, of course, you know the story of John. He was down at the Jordan baptizing, and Jesus himself came to him to be baptized. And John pointed beyond himself to Jesus and said, I shouldn't be baptizing you, you me. And there was a great respect and love between these these two men. And John was one who never minced words. He spoke the truth even a truth that people didn't necessarily want to hear. People came to him from all over, and he would talk about their need to repent of their sins. And he was clear about the reality of sin in the human heart. And people grieved at the reality that they saw because of his incisive words, and they presented themselves for baptism. And then Herod decides to go on to a business trip to Rome. And there he is in Rome. He left his wife behind in Jerusalem. But there in Rome was his brother Peter and Peter's wife, Herodias. And one thing led to another. But wouldn't you know, Herod steals his brother's wife. He divorces his wife, marries his brother's wife, and all kinds of fur flew over this very controversial act. Well, John the Baptist did not mince words. And he would address the people and tell them what Herod has done is wrong. He stole the wife of his own brother while they were both still married. He divorces his wife and Herodias leaves Peter and, and joins up with him. Mints no words and so Herodias didn't like this. The new wife of Herod asked that that John be arrested. Herod had some respect for John. John had backbone. He had courage. And Herod had enough gumption about him to recognize a man of great character when he saw one, perhaps because he lacked so much character himself. Everything he did was to appease and to to make everyone feel good around him. So he had John arrested. And then, of course, he throws a party. This time there, on the east side of the Jordan, where they, they had a winter house, because in the summertime it was way too hot. And they would steal away and have all of his friends and, and the other royalty over, and it was typically a, a wild kind of gathering with too much of almost everything. And he makes a promise as his wife's Daughter comes in and dances for everyone in a very seductive dance. And he says, Whatever you want, up to half my kingdom. I don't know how many glasses of wine that he had had at this point, but he says, Whatever you want, half my kingdom. And everyone's yelling and screaming, Yeah, 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 up to half my kingdom, whatever you want. And and Salome goes to Herodias and says, "What what should we ask for? Herodias hates John. She hates truth. She hates the truth bearer. Asks for his head on a platter. And because John was just downstairs, he gave the order... And it was done. Sometime later, Jesus heard the death of his cousin. Jesus was ministering to the crowds. He was up in the Sea of Galilee and ministering to people and and word got to him of his brother's passing, pardon me, his cousin's passing. And the scripture says that he went to be alone. He went to get away. Jesus grieved. And we might think, why, why would Jesus grieve? He's the author of life. He's the one who can bring life out of death. He can bring life from nothing. Why would Jesus grieve? lost his cousin, and he had to be alone. He needed to somehow process what had happened. When that happens to us, we find ourselves without adequate equipment. We've all lost loved ones. And when it comes very close, when it's a cousin, a sibling, a spouse, a parent. We go through it. We keep moving, we keep walking, we keep breathing, but we're not really handling it. At my desk at the house, I've got a little tiny picture of mom and dad. I can't sit there without looking at it. One of the great surprises of life was to learn that I can't get over it. I don't get over it still have times when I, when I weep, when I think of mom and dad. Jesus knew grief. Jesus personally grieved. He grieved over his cousin. When he learned of Lazarus' death, he wept. When he was going into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday... One of the gospel records say that he wept as he rode. And I wonder how Jesus felt when those Pharisees brought that woman and threw her at his feet because she had been caught in the act of adultery. What kind of of pathos, anguish, grief did Jesus experience? For it was that kind of same unrighteousness that killed his cousin. That context of of crass ugliness, the unleashing of the worst of human impulses that killed his cousin and that threw that woman at her fe- at his feet. I have to believe that Jesus grieved, maybe to the point of tears, on that morning. As it says in Isaiah, who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. He carries our sorrows. He bears our grief. And... And that aspect of Jesus, the the grief-bearer, the sorrow-bearer that is Jesus, is not the victorious kind of Jesus that they wanted to see. They wanted to see a Messiah. They wanted to see somebody conquering all, above all, untouchable by the realities of life. And here he was, on that move into Jerusalem, bouncing on the back of a donkey, weeping as he did. What kind of Messiah is this? But one who understands, one who knows our grief, one who knows our hearts, one who grieves with us. Someone sent me a newspaper clipping a while back about a church in Minnesota. Probably Minneapolis, I don't know. Cottage Grove. But um, this is a church that considered old people to be a downer. Because old people suffer a lot of grief. They deal with a lot of loss. They are at a point in life where not only is their health at risk, but then they, they see their children and their grandchildren and how vulnerable they are to anything that happens to their kids and grandkids. And so older people are a downer. And so, this Minnesota Church is saying, out with the old. Gray-haired members of Grove United Methodist Church in Cott- Cottage Grove have been invited to worship elsewhere as part of an effort to draw younger parishioners. A memo sent out to those older than 59 asked them to stay away for two years, then consult with the pastor before reapplying. Oh, what a great church. As if, as if, something wrong about feeling deeply the stuff of life, as if there's something wrong about actually having amassed an awful lot of experience such that we know, we feel. Yes, we grieve deeply, but also deeper is our joy. We love intently. And so deep, deep and intent, intense is our grief. As C.S. Lewis put it, After he lost his wife, he said, I had to learn that all human relationships end in pain. It is the price that our imperfection has allowed Satan to exact from us for the privilege of love. For the greater the love, the greater the grief, and the stronger the faith, the more savagely will Satan storm its fortress." One of the joys of growing older is experiencing the intensifying of love and consequently the intensifying of grief, which who of us anticipated that? But even at the beginning, watching that video of Eric Clapton, knowing that that was about his losing his little boy who climbed out an apartment window and fell to his death, and then this young couple trying to deal with it, not being able to deal with it. I can't sit here and not tear up. It's a surprise. You know how it is. You know those things that touch you and move you. Well, when we're young, (laughs) it's not so bad. So-called not a care in the world, but... Perhaps that means we haven't learned yet to love. We just haven't gotten there yet. Because the more we love, the more we're going to grieve. And so what do we do when we lose one whom we love so intently? You know, this isn't just losing dear ones. Sometimes it's even losing a pet See so many people in our community who have who have pets. And right now the fact is with this coronavirus thing, the pet stores are selling out of dogs and cats. And they they are true companions to so many. How loved and how cute it is to drive down the street and see some little dog's head pointing, poked out the window. <laughs> or some some big one with. Saliva running, running back on the back window. Love it. Love it. I never saw it before. Not till I got old. I never saw it. So what do we do, given the reality that all of us are going to love intently and therefore grieve intently? What Jesus did first was he got alone. He simply went to be alone. He spent that time, perhaps, there's no record, we can imagine because we can project ourselves into our Savior's life at such a time as this. Probably wept. Probably remembered. Probably thought about some of the crazy stuff that he and John used to do when they were kids but he was alone. He allowed himself to implode upon himself and then come forth from it. Maybe he yelled. Maybe we do. Get alone. And then trust God. The reality is that the re- the the losses that we experience are always a challenge to our faith. We're always asking why. But Jesus was born into a why would God world. The very same world that we live in and we're asking constantly, Lord, why would you allow? Why would you ordain? Why would this happen? Trust God. And then that grief does something to your heart. It's a tenderizer. And as a tenderizer of the heart, it is preparer for you to minister to others, to act out from that place of pain and grief to touch another person in their pain and grief. Jesus, after this event, where you the story of his feeding the 5,000, which was 5,000 men, plus the women, plus the kids, maybe something in the neighborhood of 15,000, 20,000 people. Out of his grief, he gave. Out of his loss, he poured himself out. And he called to him a little boy, who had his lunch pail with Spongebob on the cover, and he opened it up to Jesus, and Jesus took that and multiplied it to the multitude. He took what that little boy gave, and it flowed through his heart and out, and it fed the people. Your hurt and pain, your loss, however hard, can be a gift to another. For your tenderized heart is a heart that, like the heart of our Lord, can feel with others, can enter into the, the anguish and pain. No, we cannot feel just what they do. But we can feel like others do. And when we do, when we allow that that place of loss and pain to be the source of care. Others know, perhaps even just intuitively, that's not just your love or my love. That's the love of God, taking our paltry offerings, multiplying them through His hand and heart, and giving it to others. Will you bow with me in prayer? O oh Lord, for the gift of love, and for the grief that we're not necessarily thankful for, Lord, for inasmuch as you use that and redeem that, we anticipate that day
1: when we will be in
0: that place where there is no crying or pain, where every tear has been wiped away, a place where there will be no tears, but full joy of your presence, your power, and being reunited with one another. Lord, we give you thanks and praise in the name of the one who bore our sorrows. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast.